Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now the mysterious circumstances podcast is hosted by justin rimmel this is an american crimecast production Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hi, I'm Nick. And I am Rob, and we are the Brohio Podcast. We cover all the unknown and much more. Aliens, true crime, famous murders, monsters, paranormal, and everything that goes bump in the night. We keep it funny, slightly trashy, and sometimes we like to talk about crapping our... Nick, Nick, Nick. We are trying to make a good impression here. Right, right. You can find us on all your favorite podcast apps. We drop new episodes every Monday. We are a member of the Bomb Pod Media Network. We'd love to talk to you on Instagram and Twitter at Brohio Podcast. And the Bros of Brohio do appreciate you listening. We will see you on the dark side. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances. I am Justin. I am joined again by the fabulous co-host Brandy. I was actually going to do like I was going to do like the next up to the stage, Brandy, <laughs> but I didn't. So. I know. I know. It's a stripper name. I know. <laughs> it totally is. At least it's not candy. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, before we get going, I do have to ask about Texas. How are you guys recovering from the weather down there? Um, we're kind of halfsies. So yeah. half of Houston is is doing very well, and um, and that half is taking care of the other half. Good. That's not doing too well. well There's that's um, good. you're still driving down the block and seeing a lot of debris from people's homes and. Uh, it's unfortunate, but we're all coming together and we're all helping each other out. So it's, is, it's a blessing. That is fucking awesome right there. That's what it's all about. For all those people who hate America, <laughs> that right there is what it's all about. All right. Um, today, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say a couple things before we get started. First of all, for those of you who listen to my question and answer episode, I was not talking shit about podcasts who use scripts. 99% of them do. I listen to all of them. And for those of you who do not know, when I am on American Crimecast, I am scripted. So, take that as you will. I was not talking shit about them. I was just saying that is not really my personal thing that I do. Go ahead and laugh, Brandy, but I got comments about that. So, I cannot win, basically. I can't win. Um, but that, and I'm going to go ahead and put out a disclaimer this case is pretty fucking sad, and it involves children. So, for those of you who are squirmish with details, you know, all my regular listeners know I am a stickler for details, and unfortunately I do not leave anything out, and that includes stuff like this. So, just going to go ahead and say that before we get going. And, uh, I don't know, uh, Brandy, you want to go ahead and get us started? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, so today we're going to go over the Bennett family murders, and this happened um, in 1984. Uh, this was in Aurora, Colorado, and the family that we're going to be talking about, uh, the father's name is Bruce Bennett, and this is a young family. Uh, he was only 27. His wife, Deborah Bennett, was uh, 26, 
and they had two baby girls, um, Melissa Bennett and Vanessa Bennett, ages seven and three. Um, Bruce Bennett was in the Navy, and um, so he definitely was a protector, mm -hmm. a protector of, <laughs> of the U.S. and a yeah. protector of his family. And he was uh, actually also trained as a uh, traffic controller. The, this particular morning, well, let me take it back to the evening before because they're not quite sure about time frames. But mm -hmm. January 15th, um, approximately 9 p.m. to possibly uh, January 16th, the morning of January 16th, in this Aurora home, basically there was, there was an intruder that came in. And I'm assuming because... The case uh, shows that Bruce Bennett met him in a, like a stairway or hallway area. Um, he atta he was attacked first, and uh, from what I understand, he should have been dead by the first couple of blows. Yeah, and yeah. should not have survived. But this guy fought with <laughs> all his might to protect his family. Oh my God! Um, did he? Yes. Yeah. He uh, was, uh... Just everywhere, and. Anybody can imagine getting hit with this. It's a hammer. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm not, I, yeah. uh, I can't even imagine. But this guy fought, fought from room to room. He yeah. didn't, he didn't go down easy. Didn't no. go down easy. Um, it's protect his family. And, um, and he was ultimately killed, blood force trauma. Uh, I believe that there was also a knife involved yes, yes um was. that was all yeah so he he fought fought really really hard deborah his wife also was killed with the with the hammer she was she was sexually assaulted yes um so not only did this guy break in have this horrific m murder just like killed this guy he's probably just covered in blood himself just from from bruce goes in finds deborah kills her kills her rape rapes her um and then goes on to melissa uh i believe she, the seven-year-old yeah. and she was sexually assaulted as well yeah and she was uh the the thing is is that uh, melissa was nearly eight years old she was seven and they had just had like her birthday party like that weekend yeah. before um, so she had celebrated her eighth birthday, but she hadn't turned eight yet. And so she was sexually assaulted, hit on the head, hit, you know, with this hammer. I mean, just blunt trauma to everywhere. And, um, and then Vanessa was three. Now, Vanessa, she received blunt trauma as well. And, uh, and she survived. Yes. Which is yes. absolutely amazing. Now, uh, just to, so that everybody kind of gets the setting um, Justin, you said you had some of the, uh, the weather that they were having that night. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to backtrack real quick. This did happen on January 16th. So this was pretty fucking cold in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, the weather conditions for that day. Let's see. It was, it was on a Monday and there was no snow on the 15th and the temps at night were below freezing and the wind shear, or the wind chill was actually at uh, pretty much historical lows. It was extremely brutally cold. Uh, it should be known that there was no forcible entry found, and some of the details that uh, Brandy touched on a little bit, um, they believe that that did happen between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. the 15th and the 16th. Now, Bruce was stabbed, slashed, and beat with a hammer, and his throat was eventually cut. This guy, after all of this, was the very first one to be attacked. He fought this attacker mm -hmm. from room to room and up the fucking stairs to protect his family. <laughs> they said there was blood everywhere. I don't say that lightly. The only reason I, I say that with any bit of confidence in my voice is because this fucking guy was amazing. He was amazing. He was fighting for his family. Uh, Deborah was yeah. bludgeoned with that hammer. She was 26 years old. She was also raped. Um, and like, like Brandy said, 
Um, Melissa Bennett, who was seven, was also raped and beat to death with a hammer. And I did read in one place that she was also stabbed, but I only read that in one place out of many. Now, Vanessa, I don't know why. I think he, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure he thought she was dead. Her entire face was shattered. And that includes her jaw was shattered so bad there were bones of her jaw in her windpipe. But that little girl did live. Constance, who is uh, Bruce's mother, was the one who found the bodies in the late morning of January 16th. The reason she went to the house was because uh, they had a family furniture store and Bruce had failed to show up for work. You know, didn't call or anything like that. So, so she went over to the house to check on everybody. And she found the scene that was, she, in her own words, the most traumatic thing she's ever experienced in her life, which is totally understandable. Now, I, I looked up the proximity between, you know, the, where he was working and where the house was. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was pretty quick, you know, she could just kind of run over and go check and say, cause this was not a norm for them to not show up. And, uh, you know, there's some close by highways, uh, near their neighborhood. So it was just a matter of whoever did this, just hopping in their vehicle or whatever means of transportation. I, can't, I can't imagine it was, um, yeah. any public transformation, yeah. Yeah, uh, transformation, but um, we, um, yeah, there's a highway that's that's real close by, and he could have been long gone, long yeah. gone by the time everything was found. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about about the weather, and assuming that he took his own vehicle um, to do this, um, and the fact that there was no force entry, I, I kind of think back in the day, um, in '84, maybe late '70s, I'm not sure if everybody even locked their doors, so maybe that's why. It's a they good didn't possibility. find that there was a fourth century. Well, that and that and that cul-de-sac. Well, that cul-de-sac there was still under construction. They were still building a shitload of houses, and I'm pretty sure their house was one of the one of the few or one of the first that was in that addition. So I'm pretty sure they right. didn't even have very many neighbors. Yeah, so it was like a, kind of like an opportunity to you know <sighs> here's this family that's living in here, mm-hmm. and there's not much around them at the moment. But my thing is, is that this person, let's say they drove over, it was freaking freezing. And I know yeah. up north, you got to warm up your vehicle before you get going, <laughs> uh, especially, yeah. you know, those old school cars. Um, so this guy had plenty of time to really yep. think about it. He did, too. Think about what he was going to do. Yeah. 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 And Maybe fantasize or whatever is going on whatever. in the dude's head. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, evidence-wise... Um, it's really sad. The one damning piece of evidence that probably could have helped this case was not released to the public until 2015, which 31 fucking years later. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. There are over 1,400 unsolved homicides in Colorado alone. Now, from what I understand, the, the police around that area... Unless people confess, their success rate of solving shit is not very fucking good. And I'm not... Well, I mean, I guess I kind of am bashing them. But they... Evidence-wise, there was a footprint on the piece of concrete, I believe, either outside or in the garage. I'm not 100% sure where it was. But they removed that from the concrete, and they ended up getting fingerprints off of it as well. There was this dude's DNA all over the fucking house. Deborah's oh, yeah. purse was found out in the front lawn. Most of the shit that was inside the purse was strewn out. Nothing was missing, though. So, you know, that kind of, you know, throws the robbery out the window a little bit. And the severity of the attack alone, uh, there's no fucking way that this guy was a cat burglar. You know what I mean? Or, or something like that. This that's, I mean, I, I understand like that's might be a popular theory and we'll probably touch base when we start getting into the facts of some of the other events that happened within that 12 days 
Uh, there's a little 12-day window uh, where some shit happened, but this dude pretty much just fucking disappeared off the face of the earth. Nobody reported anything. Now, the piece of evidence that I did touch base on, what it was was on Melissa's pajama top, um, upside down, you can see in blood the imprint of what would be like a fuzzy embroidered tag like you would see on a uniform. Now, they don't know if it was a name or the name of a company, but all they can really kind of make out, they've sent it to two separate labs to try to decipher, and it looks like it was either Richar, like R-I-C-H-A-R, which would be, you know, like Richard or whatever, or, you know, P-E-T-A-W-C. Now, her pajamas were kind of folded over a little bit, so they don't think they got the whole word in there. Obviously, we looked into some other stuff, you know, with utility companies, railroad workers, blah, 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 in that area. You know, we're, we're going to save that for the facts and theories area. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch base on in this, in this Bennett uh, attack? Yeah, just, uh, just real quick. I mean, there's just... There was so much blood in the house that I would imagine in 1984, it would have been very difficult for um, investigators to basically decipher through all the blood in the house because we can't go, we can't think that this guy walked away without some sort of scratch. I'm sure these people, I mean, they were fighting for their lives and fighting for each other. Especially the fight um, Bruce put up. I I, I mean, I just, I, I just think that there's got to be there. There just has to be some some DNA or something that we could yeah. do now that we have the technology and can identify it a little bit better. Yeah. But and I can't imagine what this murder scene looked like, and uh, I can't imagine that any police officers were prepared. Yeah, you know, for something like that. Yeah, and what they what they ended up doing was they saved that DNA. What they do, what it's called, is called a snapshot composite. And this is an image based on DNA predictions. Now, this can predict hair color, eye color, origin of descent, which would mean like your ethnicity or something like that. Um, It can even go and it can, you know, predict your freckling, you know, on your body or your face. Now, Parabon Nano Labs in Virginia is what, uh, what does this, and it's referred to as DNA phenotyping. Or phenotyping. I'm not sure how uh-huh. to pronounce that that word. I think it was right around 2000. I don't know. It might have been 2002. Because in 2002, um, it should be known that the DA, the former DA at the time, did re- did put out an arrest warrant for a John Doe. Now his name was uh, in June. This mm-hmm. was in June 2002, and it was Jim Peters who did that. So that basically means right. that... The, I thought it was absolutely brilliant that he did that. Yeah, he did. And that is, like, very, very clever. Because that basically means that as soon as this guy's DNA is matched, this guy's going to prison for fucking murder. Like, no pass go, no collecting $200, <laughs> no bail money, no nothing. Right, Which, right, right, um, exactly. And they did that after, you know, they had gotten the DNA evidence. Now, like I said, I'm not exactly thrilled about the police department waiting to release that one bit of evidence until 2015. The reason they said is because they didn't want to jeopardize the case. Now, from the looks of shit, Brandy, they really didn't have much of a case, okay? Not trying to be, like, overly critical here or anything like that, but they really didn't know shit. Now, the most interesting thing, I guess, if you're ready to move a little bit forward past the Bennetts, or should I say before the Bennetts, was that this DNA was matched to another hammer attack. And yes, that was another hammer attack. Yep, and that was one of three other attacks, possibly more, in that area. And the main one, which was the only other one to cause death, was Patricia Smith. Do you want to touch base on Patricia Smith a little bit? Yeah, so Patricia Smith lived in Lakewood, Colorado, which if you map it is, uh, to me, it looked like it was probably about a 45-minute or maybe 30-minute drive Mm -hmm. um, away from Aurora. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't too, too far away. 
Um, it did occur on January 10th. So um, I'm not 100% sure if this was like his first uh, trial run or have you know what was going on with him patricia louise smith was 50 years old and um she lived off of west bayard um i believe avenue yeah and um i saw that she had she was in a like i guess that subdivision has like apartment numbers um so it showed that she was in an apartment but we all have different definitions of apartments, so it might have been like a town home style or yeah. something. It's believed that the the killer didn't know any of the family members, didn't know any of any of the victims, or wasn't connected to anybody. It just seemed like it was like an opportunity, um, and he didn't force himself into the home. Yep. is what I read on hers. <clears throat> so again, we're it might just be a means of kind of walking around and seeing whose homes are open. Um, they do believe robbery is a, a possible motive, uh, but for the most part, I mean, no, I, I don't think that for a no. second. I read somewhere that maybe some maybe something was missing, but you know, um, but that was it. Um, yeah. And but this, again, this uh, was the hammer. Now, yeah. this this is the one where I read that the hammer weren't wasn't found and i think you read yeah. on this one that the hammer was found well i had read both things and this was this was actually on january 10th which was i believe you know two days before the bennett's were were killed and the only reason they linked these two was right. because of the dna and the hammer obviously but but yeah patricia smith was also raped and she was found by her mother um, they believe the crime happened between 1 and 3 p.m. She was found partially clothed. Uh, and I had read, like you had said, two different things. I had read that the hammer was gone. I read two totally different things in more than one place. So it's like yeah. extremely confusing. Yeah. I read that the hammer was mm -hmm. gone, so it was possibly the same hammer used. But I also heard that the attack was so brazen because the killer or the attacker left the hammer laying beside Patricia's half-clothed body. So it's really hard to, you know, determine which which one is true. Because, I mean, I consistently read both things in more than one place. So Yeah, and but, you know, uh, for me, I think it would make sense if the uh, hammer was indeed there, because in... And the different stories, they're kind of linking these things all through. And sometimes they're saying he's bringing the hammer, like he's bringing his own murder weapon. And yeah. sometimes he's leaving it. And you only know if he's using a new hammer, if you know what one of them is. Like, uh, I yeah. mean, unless there's some sort of identifying marks in the injuries that would tell you that it's a different hammer every time. Yeah. So. And I think uh, the only thing on. Sure. Yeah. The only thing on the head of a hammer would be. Sometimes the faces aren't smoothed over. Sometimes they're a little bit serrated, but it's it's hard telling. It was so inconsistent, that fact was, and it really bothered me because I was trying to find articles that said more leaning towards more one than the other, and I couldn't. It was literally 50-50 right down the middle with all the stuff I read. But I did keep reading that it was different hammers, and if that was the case, then the hammer had to have been left by her body now the weather conditions were actually about the same about the same on january 10th it was there was no snow you know the temperature was from anywhere from 16 degrees to the low low 40s uh there was no snow the previous day the previous day was a little bit warmer i guess it was in the uh the 20s and stuff so i mean weather conditions aside and and there's a reason i'm saying these weather conditions so just remember that stuff. We're going to get to that and some of the theories and all that good stuff. But, but and from yeah. what I understand, there was construction going on around yes. her residence as well. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. There was a. It was a new development, just like where the Bennetts lived. Um, so there was a lot of houses going up. There was a lot of utility companies putting in furnaces. There was plumbers. You know, there's a lot of traffic, but still no witnesses to anything. And they believe the attack happened between 1 and 3 p.m. You know, that's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you that, know, it's really hard to believe. That blows my mind, too. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and then her poor mother, you know, had to walk in to find that, you know, and I mean, don't get me wrong, her mother is probably, if if Patricia was 50, her mom's probably at least 70. Christ, she's like she didn't have a damn heart attack or stroke or something. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. Now, those those are the cases in which someone died um, and, and, you know, was yes. murdered. But yes. there's actually a couple of incidences that happened uh, January 4th of 1984 yep. where individuals were attacked and they were not killed. They actually survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to me that there wasn't enough evidence at that time or enough description of who the attacker was. And it just seems so strange that these people were brutally attacked survived and still we don't have any information exactly Um, so on january 4th 1984 an intruder attacked james and kimberly now you're gonna have to help me with this last (laughs) name i believe i I believe it's called hobbin's child it's h-a-u what he said yeah h-a-u-b-e-n-s-c-h-i-l-d i I think it's hobbin's child but yeah from what i understand uh, they were attacked at home as well yes Yes, they were. And and it was a fractured skull, concussions, various injuries, again, with the hammer. Yep. I mean, both of them survived. And again, on that same day, a man with a hammer attacks a woman named Donna Dixon, who was a flight attendant. She was in her garage, and it, and it left her in a coma. So I imagine he probably thought he killed her. She ended up surviving. And she still is very, very active about getting this case solved she is very very loud about it which is awesome but the bennett family ended up being the last of the attacks which in all honesty were the most brutal and i find it interesting that on the last attack that was the most brutal was the only one that he took the knife with him so there was no sexual assault of donna dixon that i could find at all um right right you know it's uh, I will say this, though. Kim Hobbins' child, uh, she did have a concussion, but she stated that she saw the assailant. What she said she saw was like an African-American male, well over six foot tall, and very well built. So a very big guy, which a couple swings of a hammer of a dude that size, I, I can't really see somebody just having a concussion. You know what I mean? Like, not to be morbid about it, but for God's sakes, you know? Now, that totally, totally contradicts the DNA, you know, what do they call it? The snapshot or whatever. The DNA snapshot describes a white male of European descent who was, you know, 5'10", 5'11", maybe 180 pounds. They, I will post a picture of him on the Facebook page in the group, um, so you can see that that picture. It's actually really, really interesting how they pulled that technology together to do that. It's pretty fucking amazing. But other than that, there were a couple random attacks days earlier as well uh, on the Highline Canal in the Alameda Avenue corridor. Um, some of the details of those I really couldn't find. Did you happen to find anything on any no, details it, on them? It was very, very limited. That's okay. Yeah, so... Uh, Which, it might have been that those attacks indeed happened, but he just wasn't successful at it, and he was leading up to what was coming. Yeah. The thing about it was, was before January 4th and after January 16th, nothing it's like this guy came out of nowhere then the guy left the brutality of the bennett family which was the last of the attacks and the only one that he carried a knife on you know kind of tells me that he was he was on a mission and usually shit like that somebody like I'm not a fucking FBI profiler, but I don't think a person who does that kind of shit can stop. You know what I mean? So right. there's, I mean, we'll touch base, you know, more on that, I guess, and some of the, some of the theories and stuff. But it's just very, very interesting because it's like the guy just fucking disappeared. He like appeared out of nowhere, attacked a shitload of people with a fucking hammer, murdered almost an entire family, 
and then just vanished into thin air. And that's with literally Absolutely. leaving fucking DNA everywhere. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. But, um... Yeah. I mean, we were going through a couple of theories, you and I, and as soon as we would come up with one, we'd almost discount it in the same yeah. sentence. I, I yeah. can't imagine being an officer at the time trying to figure that out either. Yeah, it's, uh... That's that's the real head scratcher. Is pretty much every theory is almost immediately dismissible. It's honestly confusing, and it's sad at the same time because Constance uh, Bennett, uh, Bruce's mother, is still she's still alive, and she's still very very active in this case as well. Very active. But I guess with that, unless you have anything to add, I guess we can move on to some little side facts that I suppose people might want to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of them that I kind of thought was interesting was uh, Donna Dixon being attacked in the middle of the day in her garage of all places. Mm -hmm. So just kind of um, knowing the neighborhood or, you know, the the type there was there was movement there. I mean, yes, there was construction, but there was people there um, that were there during the day, you know, within that community and with the active construction going on during the day because they couldn't work at night. Yeah. So I don't quite understand how there wasn't anybody that saw, heard, you know, I, I, I don't get it. Um, and especially with it being in a garage, exactly. a garage that's not tucked behind anything. Yep. It's, you know, that, that was shocking to me. It was. And like I had touched base on the weather conditions a lot, giving, cause a lot of people are, are really suspecting that it was possibly a construction worker. But the thing about it was, the hours of it happening. Monday was between possibly midnight and 6 a.m. That was on a Monday, January 16th. You know, it was freezing outside, like historical lows and just brutally cold, wind chill wise. The January 10th attack on Patricia was on a Tuesday. You know, no snow. Like I said, temperature range from 16 to low 40s. Not many construction workers are going to be outside working. And I mean, I understand you can acclimate, you know, to say like Colorado weather and stuff like that. But even the January 4th attacks, those were during the day as well. And that was on a Wednesday. And Patricia Smith and the other two attacks on the 4th were were in the middle of the day. In, In January 4th, there was no snow as well. It was well below freezing at night. But during the day, I will say it was in about the 50s. But if the guy was working construction, he's obviously going to be working. Now, there is another interesting side fact that could possibly play into some of the theories. And I do got to give a big shout out to Melinda in uh, Colorado Springs who helped me out with this. She she went to bat for me on the ground and uh, she called around quite a bit. And uh, I appreciate that immensely. But because here's here's some side facts that are tied into this. The Bennetts had a family furniture business, and Patricia Smith was also uh, it just started a home decor business. So there's a possible link that this was a person who was possibly a drywaller or a plumber of some sort or some kind of inside construction trade that would grant him access to the houses to where he would have knowledge. Of the people inside and have like maybe some kind of formulated attack, you know, not obviously not too formulated, but there is a there was a utility company that was called Aurora Plumbing and it's called APC Plumbing now and they did do plumbing and furnace installations in that development that the Bennetts lived in. They and they also did some work in the Lakewood area where Patricia Smith lived in 1984. Now, that theory does hold a little bit of ground, but that doesn't explain Donna Dixon and the Hobbins child uh, couple because the Hobbins child, I could not find their occupation, but Donna Dixon was a flight attendant. So there's some of those side facts, you know, it's just, you know, I, I, I found that out and I was sitting there and I found out that they were both into some kind of home business and with all the development and construction going on and stuff like that i was like fuck i found a connection i solved it and i was all excited because i messaged you i was like i think i found a connection and then i was like 
Dot, 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 shit, never mind. Donna Dixon was a flight attendant. It's like, I ain't solving Aww, shit. I ain't, I ain't solving shit no, today. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great linkage that you put together because then, I, I mean, we were all kind of thinking of the trade. Okay, so aside from the blood evidence on the PJs, the fact that it's a hammer. A hammer is pretty uh, industry-specific. It wouldn't regularly be the tool of choice, I would think, amongst killers. No. Because it's going to make a huge mess. Like, I don't even know how you move on to the next person because you're slipping and sliding all over the place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that blows my mind that the hammer was the weapon of choice. And you've got these trades that you kind of look at and you go, okay, well, maybe he was a plumber. Okay, maybe there was some construction going on in there. And and you're thinking about it and you're thinking, okay, but the people that survived, we were talking about this uh, earlier, the people that survived, they didn't give any distinct um, indications or characteristics of this person, the people that were able to give any kind of description. Yeah. So usually in the trade, anybody that's going to use a hammer usually works with their hands, let's say. And if they work with their hands, their hands might be coarse or, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it's a, if it's somebody that works, you know, on the railroad, it might be somebody that smells like oil or some sort of lubricant. And, um, and then you've got, let's say the construction industry, there's, uh, you know, different chemicals or, or tools. There's just different attributes to that. You would indicate, you know, this person came in and smelled like this yeah, or something to confirm that they're with the trade, yeah. which honestly, it just seemed a little strange to me. I mean, their hands are going to be coarse. If they're working with their hands, there's yeah. going to be, you know. Definitely. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I could mean, see. people were knocked, knocked out, so. They, yeah. And, I, I get it. And that's the thing with the with the DNA profile or the DNA snapshot. I keep wanting to say Snapchat. I'm not even going to lie. With the DNA snapshot, <laughs> it's like. Granted, it's not 100% accurate, and it's never fucking going to be, but with DNA, it is a provable science, all right? In the description that uh, Kimberly Hobbins' child gave is totally contradictive to that DNA, so you always have the possibility of maybe that DNA was picked up from possibly a construction worker that had worked there. Or maybe Kimberly was not telling the truth, or I don't know why why she would fucking lie about it, to be perfectly honest with you, but, you know, let's be real. She got knocked the fuck out. She got hit pretty yeah. high, hit hard in the head with a damn hammer. So, Well, one of the reasons why somebody might not tell the truth when given a description is because they've threatened them beforehand. Like, we, we, we can think that he probably thought that he killed her. Yeah. But if he says, I'm coming after you and your family, you know, and that's going to stay in her mind and then she survives, she's going to give the opposite description of this white Caucasian DNA totally <laughs> that she true. found. I, I, it might have happened. I don't know. Well, and the fact that this DNA linked two crimes in separate towns with the same weapon is kind of hard to dispute. You know what I mean? It really is. Right. And I'm not... Right. Trying to say, you know, Kimber- Kimberly is, is a liar or whatever, but you can't dispute, you know, cold hard facts. It's, yeah. it is what it is. And that's literally the only reason they linked these two together was because of that. Because the severity of the crimes, I mean, I'm pretty sure the only reason they knew it was a hammer with Patricia Smith was because I personally believe, even though I read both things... I read that it was a different hammer used in each attack, and the only way they would know that is if the first hammer on January 10th with Patricia Smith was left at the crime scene beside the body. Right. I don't know. Is there any other facts that you could really dig up? Um, we kind of touched on on um, that attorney that um, did the warrant for the John yeah. Doe. Yeah, Jim um, Peters. You know, just to link it to the to the DNA, and I thought that that was an absolutely brilliant move to put it into yes. CODIS because, I mean, chances are this guy's long gone. Okay, but yeah. if by some some reason he resurfaces, 
you know, that'll always be in there. And uh, then they'll be able to press, you know, the charges for the murders, charges for the rapes and, and entries. And I mean, you just name it. They yep. could just, you know, lay it on them nice and thick. But again, let's uh, let's kind of cover up the um, him actually showing up out of nowhere and then yeah. leaving out of nowhere. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking initially um, when I heard about it was that maybe he was in jail and he was paroled or something like he came out of nowhere and you don't just kill people with a hammer on your first go around. No. I don't think that's where you start. So um, so it felt like maybe he was, this was some built up um, dream or uh, fantasy of his that maybe, you know, he gets out, he's able to go and kill, and either he goes back into prison for some reason, or maybe he just flees the country altogether. Yeah. I don't know how difficult it, or easy it would be to get out of the country in 1984. It'd be a lot easier than it is now. I fucking tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, too, is with the hammer, why not just use a gun? This guy, I want to say it's almost personal, but the attacks yeah. were spread out over that 12-day window, and it was people who seemingly were not connected. So it's like right. he had something built up inside of him. Like you said, he came out of nowhere. Um, the vehicle, there's no fucking vehicle no witnesses no nothing somebody had suggested i read one theory that he possibly used public transportation not trying to rain on anybody's like web sleuth fucking theory here but if i saw a dude get on a fucking bus after like the bennett attack dude there's no fucking way this dude was not carried he fucking carried melissa's body i don't know to the to what extent but at some point in time, he had her body over his shoulder to get that imprint right. of uh, of it. So right. it's like this dude legit had was covered in fucking blood, and he just fucking vanished. Nobody saw anything. I heard railway worker because there was a lot of you know railways coming and going through the area at the time. But then again, you have to think coworkers. You know, somebody saw. You know, it's like, hey, this guy disappeared for X amount of time. You know, we don't know where he was. You know, all that good shit. It's like, you can't just disappear out of thin air with fucking blood all over you. I don't... I just think that, you know, that whole theory about... Well, I don't want to say theory because the witness said that it was a a, a tall African-American man. Um... I, I don't really know what the dynamics of the neighborhood were, but yeah. the fact that there were no witnesses makes me feel like this is someone that fit in um, yeah. to where this family lived. And from what I understand, this entire family was Caucasian. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe I just don't I, I just don't see how that all works together. I mean, if you see someone that's, you know, kind of a taller gentleman, you're, it's going to be more noticeable than, you know, somebody that just looks like the average guy from down the block, you know? So maybe they don't notice the car or, you know, they don't notice anybody getting into anything because they never noticed him. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Or even going along with the, he was some kind of tradesman. He would supposed Mm -hmm. to be in that area. He was supposed to be in that house because he was, you know, Installing furnaces, doing plumbing, doing drywall, or something of that nature. Like some kind of service technician or some shit. I just... Right. It's honestly really perplexing just because... I mean, the guy, you know, disappearing out of nowhere, there's a lot of different ideas. Like one of them would be he went to prison. Uh, At that point in time, I don't think they did DNA as people are going into prison like they do now. So there could be, there could be a fucking guy sitting in prison for an unrelated charge or went to prison for an unrelated charge that killed, you know, four fucking people and attacked the shit out of some more and just got off, you know, or some people say that, you know, after the attack of the Bennett's where he just like frenzied, he got scared and just skipped town, just freaked out and i think that was your suggestion actually when we were talking and it's just it seems likely i mean because he just got so freaked out but 
he just evolved, you know, from seemingly little hammer attacks to the Bennett family shows up with a hammer and a knife and just tries to kill right. an entire family. And it's just unbelievable. Right. And, you know, I mean, this is back in the day when, um, you know, you could get a plane ticket, you get a train ticket, you could get a bus ticket and you're paying cash. Nobody cares. It's just a voucher yeah. to get on, you know, exactly. and it's not it's it's not a big deal. No one's tracking your movements or anything like that. So but the thing that's weird is that the, a crime like this and as horrific as it is, that sickness doesn't leave you. No. I think once you're that messed up in the head, you know, you're going to be that way. So. I don't know if there were other cases that were similar to it and maybe just haven't been tied together. Yeah. That It seems to me just unheard of that he's going to go from this extreme and then just completely stop. Like yeah. something happened to him. And that's what made me think that possibly he had left the country because maybe police departments in the U.S. can talk to each other and, you know, we all have the Internet and we can tie it together now. But back then... And who's to say that he didn't, you know, go down to Mexico or go up to Canada or even go, you know, overseas altogether. Yes. And, you know, this killing spree continued. We just have no way of knowing. Yeah. Because, I mean, like you, like we had both said, it it gradually got to the point of that attack on the Bennett family. And it's once you get to that point, there's no turning back. I mean, it's just... You know, it's a really, it's a really sad case. And I, you know, somebody like this ain't going to just stop. You know, I think there are other attacks out there. I'd like to just see, I don't know. There's got to be other cases out there that are tied to this one somehow because. And, and you know, what struck me um, when I was first reading it, because the hammer thing, I just can't get over the hammer. It's like kind of like one of those tools where it's, it's going to, it's going to be so horrific when you when you kill them, um, kind of like a machete would or, you know, or some other industrial tool. It seemed almost as if that it would be something that would be like a foreign way to kill somebody. Like, that's just not your average way. Either somebody takes out a knife, someone takes out a gun. You know, it's just kind of like, I don't want to get dirty kind of thing, you know, where this was just how do you go from murdering and then the excitement of it and raping, you know, it just, and yeah. it being this hammer, I don't, I, for, I can't wrap my mind around the damn hammer. I just can't. Yeah, it makes no sense because why not just use a gun? Like it was personal or he was just had anger, you know, built up or something. And then like you had touched on, on the rape, he went from raping a 50 year old woman to a 26 year old woman to a seven year old girl. And then I think, personally, I think what happened, I don't know, part of me thinks that the fight that Bruce put up kind of freaked him out a little bit, you know, because he's like, shit, you know, that dude was supposed to be dead. And they they straight up said the injuries that Bruce had, he should not have been alive after the initial attack of this guy. He was stabbed, slashed, beat with a hammer, his throat was cut. But he still fucking fought tooth and nail through the entire house on two different floors, trying to warn his wife and protect his family. And it's just like, I think that got to the killer to the point where it might have freaked him out a little bit. Like, fuck, you know, I'm not. Yeah, I don't think he was anticipating that. No, I don't think he was either. I I don't, I think it was a pretty, pretty big surprise for old boy, you know, just like, fuck, you know, I need to, I need to go. But it's just, there's no reason for the attacks to stop other than possible death, suicide, incarceration, or just leaving town and and going somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know. There's pretty much the facts and theories all rolled into one, I guess. Is there anything (laughs) else? (laughs) I really don't. I mean, the theories-wise, like everything we talk about, it doesn't add up. Yeah, it doesn't add up. But no, I think we've we've pretty much covered everything, and it's just so sad what all of these families have gone through and and continue to go through. Because yeah. even though there's survivors, there's also you know uh, all the family that loved them and the potential of the people that they could have been. And it's unfortunate that that was taken away from them. Yeah, especially uh, the young lady Vanessa, who 
You know, I don't want to say I feel thankful or happy that she doesn't remember it, but she has the scars. She has the scars. She went through several reconstructive surgeries. Literally, her entire face was shattered, and uh, she was raised by her grandmother. So, um, I just hope she's out there doing good, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And what a powerful, powerful little girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much, but... Do you have any any other closing thoughts? I guess before we before we call it a case. Um, if they ever find this guy, I would love to know what the hell like prompted I, it. Where did you even come up with that to begin with? And yeah. uh, how and what and what? I mean, just so many questions, a million questions. So, yes. um, but no, that that's pretty much it for me. That's about the same with me. Um, I suppose on that note, uh, Brandy, it was great working with you again. I know I only gave you oh, about a, you. only gave you about a week notice on this one. I was like, "Hey, why don't you do this case with me?" And you're like, "Wait, <laughs> let me look at it," and then I sent it to you, and you're like, "Yep, I'm in." It's like, okay, fuck no. <laughs> you came. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. No, so you much. no, you came 110 percent prepared last time, and you did not let me down this time. So thank you very much for for joining me here. But, sure, absolutely. All right. Well, I suppose then I will uh, go ahead and say um, thank you again to Melinda for, for being that boots on the ground over there in Colorado and uh, calling around and finding out that information for me. I appreciate it. Um, but that aside, I suppose I'll see you guys on the flip side. Thank you, Melinda. <laughs> <laughs>